initially the early days of the company, we had a static HTML template and our writer would copy and paste the stories one by one, like line by line into this editor. He would accidentally delete something at like midnight and we'd have to restart the whole thing over. And that happened countless times. And when going to recruit talented writers, it's very hard to recruit talent and say you're gonna copy and paste for two hours a day. And so out of necessity, we had to build a solution. Welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today, Tyler Dank, was the first engineer and second hire of The Morning Brew. He saw their business newsletter scale to millions of subscribers and built many of the features that made it possible. After the company was acquired, he decided to set off on his own, start another company, and make those features, those capabilities available to the masses. His company, Beehive, has already raised over $2 million, helped creators send millions of email newsletters, and is rolling out features like referrals, data tracking, and eventually an ad network. In this interview, we talk about all that, the thesis of the company, and his own path into this entrepreneurial venture. I think you're going to take a lot away from it and be inspired by the challenge at the end. Here is Tyler Dank. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. So Tyler, excited to have you on the podcast, man. Let's get into excited it. Excited to be here. What's good? So, um, you know, the, the starting premise here, you're, you're building a newsletter software, a newsletter kind of solution for folks that want to operate their own newsletter. And then there's this second addendum to the business that you're building that is an ad network. But before we even kind of get into the details, you know, there's MailChimp, there's Substack, there's, I don't know how many other newsletter providers, HubSpot does a newsletter service now, um, send in active campaign. There's like a thousand of these. Why did the world need another newsletter solution? Or what, what gap did you see that said, hey, I'm going to go pursue the fundamental technology of email has been around, I don't know, 30 years now. What, what was the opportunity that you saw? Yeah, and everyone's trying to kill email, right? Or at least that's been the thesis for a while. Uh, I think the context helps a bit in that I initially joined Morning Brew back in 2017. Those unfamiliar with Morning Brew, it's a daily email newsletter, typically business news, conversational tone, a little witty. Um, and they grew that audience to over 3 million. I actually think they're at like 4 million subscribers now. Um, but I joined back as a second employee, building everything from the email templates, the referral program, the website, the CMS, and the ad management platform. And so to answer your question a bit more directly, like what was the need? As Morning Group kind of established themselves as a premier email newsletter, a lot of readers who also had newsletter ambitions or media companies or whatever would look to Morning Group as kind of a gold standard of their newsletters look very clean. They've been able to grow to millions of subscribers. Their content and templates and all of the different growth levers that they are using to scale their newsletter just seem to work. And being one of the primary kind of architects behind that tech ecosystem, there was a lot of inbound requests for how can I plug into an ecosystem similar to what Morning Brew had built custom for themselves and achieve the same flexibility templates growth that Morning Brew saw. And so was the custom build like out of necessity that you tried everything that was on the market and you couldn't find something that worked or, or, or was it just, you know, naivete of, of young people starting a startup and just saying, Hey, we'll build this ourselves to exactly what we have in mind. Yeah. Probably a little bit of both actually. 
Um, I would say like on the build versus buy spectrum, I've always kind of had a bias towards build. I just think the ability to have the customization when needed to have your coworker or writer say, I really need to do X and be able to say like, I can build that in a week is very advantageous versus being stuck to a third party software where you're kind of on their timeline, their roadmap. You might see an opportunity where feature X would be extremely valuable for you, but it's not mapped until 2024. And so then you're kind of stuck with like a platform that isn't allowing you to do what you need to do. And you're stuck to a third party roadmap. And honestly, like most CMSs are really just web-based, whether it's WordPress or Webflow or any of the other countless CMSs are really primarily web-based. And Morning Group kind of established themselves as an email first media company where what we needed was a customly formatted HTML email that looked good in Yahoo, AOL and, and everything else. And that didn't really exist in a way that we needed it to. And it wasn't as integrated with our workflows as we needed to scale. Um, so that was kind of like really the impetus behind doing a custom build for that. And the same could be said for the ad platform and, and everything else that we had built. Yeah, it, it's just kind of shocking though, given how old, like, like we're not talking about digital video where, you know, something like the, the format that TikTok broke, uh, you know, broke out with was kind of a new, you know, digital mobile first type of format that wouldn't have even been relevant 10 years ago. And yet, you know, I, I can remember as, as like a teenager, as a child, my mom opening her laptop to respond to email. She was getting emails, you know, more than a decade ago. So, so do you have any sort of sense for why the solution wasn't out there or at least easy for you guys to find when you were trying to build it? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a few things. Email and like its rawest form of just sending a text email via Gmail to someone has been around forever. As you mentioned, I think despite the limitations of email as a medium, there's been strides in like what you can do with a template to make it look good, how you can embed tweets and Instagram posts and videos into an email uh, to add more rich content, to add the ability to share on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn and like have little icons built into it. GIFs and animation have added like another element to emails, like be able to convey a message effectively. There have been plenty of strides forward in like what a newsletter is. And I, I would also say newsletters are this newer wave of communication where I think they really started to pick up stride in popularity in the past few years with the growth of like the skim, Axios, the hustle, morning brew. And then seeing a lot of these other one, like legacy media companies like Boston Globe, New York Times, Bloomberg, lean into email, and then watching people go independent and create their own newsletters for whatever niche content category, whether it's business and politics roundups, or even as niche as like what your workspace looks like, or football in North Dakota, or like whatever it is, there's so many niche communities and email has proven to be a very effective means of communicating to these different audiences. And so when you were, when, when did you start to realize that this kind of was its own business opportunity? It sounds like people were already coming to you as they saw the Morning Brews growth for, for a similar type of solution. Um, but when did the kind of spark set that like, hey, this, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to necessarily be like the Washington Post where they sold their kind of CMS ad platform from within the Washington Post business. This is going to be something that you know, is more or less the technology spun out of Morning Brew. I don't know if that's exactly how it played out, but we're going to take these kind of principles and go build another firm that I'm going to be the CEO of. Yeah, I guess personally, 
early days morning brew, there's three of us in a closet sized office, just building things, creating content, sending it out and getting very receptive feedback. And the amount of white space to build in my job function where there was no CMS, like initially the early days of the company, we had a static HTML template and our writer would copy and paste the stories one by one, like line by line into this editor. Oh. He would accidentally delete something at like midnight and we'd have to restart the whole thing over. And that happened countless times. And when going to recruit talented writers, it's very hard to recruit talent and say you're going to copy and paste for two hours a day. And so out of necessity, we had to build a solution or buy a third party. But as I already mentioned, we went with the build approach. And like for me as a 23 year old and like my first job out of college and the only engineer on the team, the amount of white space to say, let's build a CMS from the ground up was very appealing and building a platform sitting next to the content team, seeing what customization they needed, what their workflow looked like and building it custom for exactly their workflow was like an awesome experience. Ditto the referral program, ditto the ad operations platform, which basically automated a lot of like the post deal sales process integrated with the copywriting team. Again, there's like Salesforce and like enterprise sales solutions. There, for our exact use case of, we have five or six different newsletters. We have a primary ad spot, a secondary ad spot, a tertiary ad spot. Like how many enterprise sales solutions can integrate directly into this custom CMS in those three different ad slots? So again, out of necessity, kind of like a custom build. And for me personally, I was the one either building this from the ground up or towards the end had a team of three, four additional engineers. And I was kind of architecting from the product side. Um, and then towards the end there, it really became the white space had been filled. Like we had built a lot of the solutions. We've scaled to two and a half, three million subscribers. And my job function became a lot more smaller optimizations as a part of a media company than where my real interest is in tech and software and building solutions that thousands of people can use. And that was kind of the disconnect on a personal level of that role for me and why I ultimately left. It also helps that when the company is acquired for 70 or $75 million in cash and you were one of the early employees that you probably got a little bit of wiggle room to, to make some different life choices. And a funny story there, I left two weeks before the acquisition was announced and had no idea that it was happening. Oh, um, so that, I I was already that would not have been my, my prediction. Yeah, it, I was already in my first or second week at Google because I, I spent like two months at Google, which is a total aside and, and funny experience in itself. But I was already at Google where I woke up on a Wednesday and found out that Morning Brew got acquired where I had just left two months ago. So you're not wrong in that assumption, but just thought it was some funny additional color there that I actually had no idea that that was happening. Uh, that's crazy. So, I mean, that gives you even more cachet, right? Because if, if you're, you know, soliciting early stage investors or even, I mean, later stage investors, one of the things they're going to look for is, have you done it before? And, you know, one of the things that's just a, a, a tougher hill to climb is to say, you know, hey, I've spent my entire life in, you know, B2B SaaS and I'm going to go create a new nuclear reactor, something that's just completely orthogonal to any of your past experiences. Really what you're saying is, this was something that I built and it was something that successfully scaled one of like the most successful email newsletters of the last decade. Like it's literally on the short list. I've seen the back end of that. And now I'm going to turn that into a solution that's open for all as opposed to for a single entity. It, it's not that huge of a gap 
basically a potential investor at least has to say that execution risk is probably off the table in terms of actually building the thing and, and knowing what pieces to put in place. Yeah, and I'd go a step forward and like my two co-founders are also software engineers who were early employees at Morning Brew as well. So the expertise and competence and understanding what tools did we build? What were like the different nuances from understanding where subscribers were coming from? How, where do they find us? How do they find us? How are they engaging with our content? What types of data we needed to collect? How we were formatting content for email, how we were rendering it on web versus email, the referral program as a growth tool, the different other levers that we had built along the way behind the scenes that really moved the needle for us to acquire new subscribers and optimize everything that we were doing. I think, I mean, there's a, probably a huge gap between hobbyists who send a newsletter occasionally and just want to send out a message to a small following. And those who are more power users really trying to scale a newsletter into a large monetizable asset or even a business and understanding that very few newsletters, I think, have achieved 3 million plus subscribers and being there from the beginning and having a co-founding team of those who help build those tools as well. I think as far as like execution and competence, we have a very unique perspective, which differs from one, a lot of our competitors. Um, and two, just we had experience using a lot of different email softwares and working side by side with very talented writers and creators and sales teams and being able to pull that all together, I think provides a very unique experience and competence that we're bringing to this venture. So there's three big drivers that I want to touch on here about, about from an outsider's perspective, what makes Beehive really interesting. Uh, you referenced the referral program. Um, there is the ability to have real legibility into where subscribers are coming in from and what their kind of uh, score or efficacy is as a subscriber, you know, power users of your power readers of your uh, newsletter, light readers, and then inactive or, or bad ones. And then finally, the capacity to assist in the sale of ads. So we're going to get to those last two. But first, let's talk about the referral program at Morning Brew, what you learned from that and what specifically you're making available with Beehive to your customers now. Yeah. And that also ties into a few other things about our thesis and like how we're thinking about the entire space. But the referral program in Beehive is fully integrated and has the same capabilities that we built that morning brew. So you create the different rewards and milestones. You create the email that people get when they achieve the milestone. You set that up. You can drop it into your workflow where you just are creating a newsletter. One click, drop it into your newsletter. Every one of your subscribers has a unique referral code. It's all dynamically generated. So if you have five referrals, that'll be reflected in your email versus another subscriber has two referrals and vice versa. And so those same capabilities that we built at Morning Brew are fully built, integrated in-house within Beehive. And I think that speaks to a larger point of like, if you were to take a step back at the content and newsletter ecosystem at large, there's always been historically, you host content on a blog, whether it's WordPress or Webflow, Maybe you want to send emails as well with your content. So you connect it to a MailChimp or SendGrid or, or Campaign Monitor. Maybe you want subscriptions and have a paid newsletter and then you're using Stripe or Memberful. And so there's all these different pieces to the ecosystem. You could layer on referral program, polls, surveys, ad network as well. And they're all disparate parts. And for a lot of content creators who don't have a technical background, it's how do you bridge and connect these parts together to integrate into like a seamless experience without having the technical competence. 
And then how many engineers really do have that competence and experience in email specifically to tie them together to provide a very cohesive experience where you have a paid newsletter behind a paywall with user authentication, with a referral program and everything else of the sort. So I speak to that as like our thesis as a business at large is there are third party referral program tools that exist. It's a separate platform. You're now paying for your email service and for a third party software. Your data for referrals lives in the third party software where your data for subscribers and engagement lives with your email platform and they're not cohesive. And you're also paying for two different platforms that aren't meant to be integrated together. And so we just fundamentally believe it's a better user experience to have this first class natively integrated into our product. And then you can take that same thesis with the referral program and say polls. A lot of newsletters use this satisfaction poll where they say, what did you think about today's newsletter? You can say, great, okay, not great. Now you're paying another third-party tool, $30, $40 a month to create these polls. You're copy and pasting because they're not integrated again. And all of your data for those polls are aggregated in that third-party software. Our thesis, better experience, better product to have it natively built into Beehive. All of your data lives in one place. The solution is fully vertically integrated and just works a lot smoother, both for the end user and your reader. And I think those are more features than they are standalone products. And that is really what we're building at Beehive is a completely cohesive product suite of fully integrated features to scale your newsletter. And, and that's really, I mean, so not only is it a feature rich solution that you guys are in the process of, of, you know, charting with your, your product roadmap, but it's also very fairly priced because you have this other kind of, um, uh, perverted element of some of these, uh, newsletter and like email sending businesses where it's like every thousand subscribers that you add on, you double what you pay us or something that's slightly exaggerated, but it, it kind of creates this weird incentive where you know they're very quickly going to extract a ton of the margin for your capacity to actually have an effectively growing newsletter and i guess i'm skipping ahead to the ad network piece but i'm guessing the fact that you're also thinking about building an ad network that can plug into once again in an integrated way to the newsletter platform being basically one of the ways that you subsidize having such a fully featured email solution at such a reasonable price relative to a lot of the other options on the market. Yeah, totally. And like, again, that is our thesis where you can go to some of the cheapest enterprise email platforms of which we have feature parity with a lot of their key features and you're paying five to 10 X per month, what we're charging. And that's just for email sending alone. We also host content on web. We have a referral program, which some third party software start at hundred dollars a month. Granted, that is one of the many features that you're getting in our $100 a month platform on top of sending. Same can be said for segmentation and audience polls. So it really should be a no brainer. And we're pretty close to launching these next two or three features that really, when you look at it for $99, what you're getting in value is, is really unheard of in this space. And then again, to, you kind of alluded to it, the thesis there and big play is that ad network, which is subsidizing it. For us, it is, step one to attract the top newsletters in the world to use our platform because we have the most comprehensive product suite of features and that's what gets these newsletters in the door what we where we see more upside from revenue and also just in value add to these content creators is being able to take these somewhat unmonetized assets and monetize them via advertisements 
And so where Substack came in as a first mover, and of course, there's been newsletters like Ben Thompson and Stratechery before, where a premium subscription for email may have been somewhat of a, a novel concept four or five years ago, is much more normalized. The thing is, not many newsletters are niche enough or have the consistency to warrant charging $10, $15, $20 a month for their content, yet they have 30,000, 40,000 subscribers who are highly engaged in some niche content area. So what are they going to do if they can't monetize via premium subscription? They're a one-person content operation. They don't have a sales team, nor do they want to spend their time and bandwidth doing outbound sales and outreach and selling advertisers on their audience. And then there comes with like the copywriting and the reporting and the in the invoicing. So if we can automate that entire process for them and say, you write to 50,000 people three days a week about sports. And we have a ton of advertisers who, yes, they're advertising their sports books app or whatever else on Google and Facebook and Instagram, but there's a ton of first party data and upside in email newsletters, which you've seen through the success of an Axios and a Morning Brew and these other large newsletters. And being able to have them diversify their spend across thousands of the top newsletters that exist with the first party data that we know who our audience is, we know what type of content they read and what they click on. There's like a huge advantage there, both for advertisers to tap into those audiences, but more so for content creators, where we are actually fueling their monetization. So Beehive isn't just a platform they're paying $100 a month for, which they, they will be, but we're also paying them thousands of dollars in ad revenue that we're generating for them. And so we not are just their infrastructure and tools to send their newsletter, but we're also their monetization engine, which from a business perspective is incredibly sticky. And so to, to get more into like almost like the history of the internet to some degree, the SMTP protocol that underpins email is one of like the oldest protocols of the consumer internet. Another one of the oldest versions of that is RSS, which is not only associated with blog content, but is associated with podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. And what Spotify has uh, kind of pivoted their business towards is trying to build an ad network on top of digital audio because the history of that medium was rooted in RSS, which did not lend itself to the easy building of an ad network the way that uh, mega companies like Facebook had done so successfully. And so they're basically saying, if we can aggregate as much of the digital audio audience as possible onto a platform like ours, we can become this scaled advertising network, which you know grants access to some of the biggest brands and budgets in the world for advertising, that the individual art creator on an RSS feed, or in your case, the individual newsletter writer on their SMTP uh, protocol otherwise wouldn't be granted access to or would have to you know, do an enormous amount of work to pry open the door to some of that advertising budget. Yeah, I mean, the Spotify analogy is pretty spot on. We are trying to replicate that, but for newsletters is probably the simplest way to put it. And I guess to talk about like the market size, Morning Brew, to use them as an example, currently sends about 30 million emails per week. And we are doing 30 million emails this month in our sixth month since launching. So quickly reaching scale. The difference there is they have very targeted newsletters and a targeted sales team to sell those assets. Not all 30 million of our impressions are monetizable for various reasons, but that is kind of the ad opportunity where we can scale impressions by again, lowering the barriers, having the most comprehensive product suite, attracting the top newsletters, scaling the impressions into the hundreds and eventually billions of emails being sent per month. 
and then being the go-to place for advertisers to then find these niche newsletters and promote their products. So what is the take rate for an ad network usually look like and how I know that this is still like a direction that you're moving towards but you know part of the the rub there with like YouTube is I think Google takes like 80% or I, I don't remember exact monetization but like you know between Google and Facebook and some of these players they take a substantial cut there's a reason those are great businesses to be in what does that traditionally look like and how would you think I'm not, obviously you don't know for sure but how would you think about that in the future yeah, so there's plenty of agencies that basically sit in the middle currently between a bunch of companies and advertisers who are looking to advertise in email and a bunch of newsletters who have hit scale and are looking to monetize their newsletter. And they are that middleman who take anywhere between a 20 and 50% take rate, I'd say. For a lot of these content creators, it's either you take the 50% or you don't monetize your newsletter, right? So the leverage is all within this like broker essentially between the ads um, and some are more favorable than others, but we probably see ourselves in the 20 to 30% take rate range where again, we are providing and, and not only I'd say the difference between us and these third party agencies is the third party agencies are still operating very manually where they are going back and forth with the advertiser, then communicating back and forth with the content creator. They're organizing the sends, they're doing the test campaigns. Post-send, the content creator has to export all the data. Someone has to package that up and get that back to the advertiser. That is an advantage that we have as a platform where we can automate 90% of everything I just said. So we are streamlining everything from the advertiser to the middleman being us and the content creator in a way where the process is much smoother than what exists currently. Um, and the take rate, I think, is, is very much warranted, especially when we're giving all of these other features and benefits as a part of the platform. And the, the cool thing here to me is from an outsider's perspective and, and, and from talking with you, it seems particularly aligned as a business model. So what I mean by that is, you know, one of the reasons, you know, just to pick on MailChimp, MailChimp would want me to get more subscribers and they would want to, you know, have good subscriber, you know, uh, collection forms is because if I, you know, get to the next threshold, I start paying whatever per month. But in this case, it, it's a relatively low cost per, per features, like you said, but you know that if, you know, my newsletter scales to a hundred thousand or a million subscribers and I turn on ad monetization, now you're my partner in that business. If I uh, am, you know, placing ads through the network that you guys are building, which not only makes your network more attractive to those potential sponsors and, and brands, but is helpful to your bottom line as well. Yeah, I mean, and that's very much the reason why we have the referral program. Why? And we skipped over that second point way back when, when you laid out the three primary things, but that growth aspect of the referral program and just how we're going about building the platform with like a data analyst perspective. It's both my experience as running growth at Morning Brew for the first 18 months I was there. And then we also have an incredibly talented growth marketer on our team as well. And we are basically building our products and offerings through the lens of a growth marketer. So if you are sending a newsletter, you have your content hosted online as well. Maybe you only want people who are subscribed to your newsletter to read your newsletter. So whether it's a pop-up form or it's email gating, not just paywalling, that's like another way to encourage people to sign up for your newsletter. No brainer features that we're launching in the next three to four weeks where we are just doing everything possible to help these content creators scale their audience. Because again, the incentives are totally in line. We want our newsletters to have success and scale. 
so they can then grow their audience, charge more and make more money, whether it's through premium subscriptions or through the ad network. And that's also better for us because then it's more attractive for advertisers to come to our platform and, and advertise because we can serve a larger number of impressions. So speak more just to the the actual execution of some of these tests to grow these newsletters that you've experienced as part of Morning Brew and you're enabling with Beehive, whether that, you know, is, is Facebook ads or, or TikTok ads or, you know, the little iPad that's in the back of an Uber somewhere. Which we've tried, by the way. When we were at Morning Brew, we were very liberal with trying anything. Part of it was because we had built out the data models where we could tell within two to three weeks whether it was a good acquisition source or a poor acquisition source. Can you speak to that in more detail? Like, like how were you able to so fine tune that to such a short time horizon? Yeah. And I give the example of in the earlier days, we'd call it the black box where we only knew top line customer acquisition cost. So we would go to Facebook as an acquisition channel and maybe it cost us $5 to get an email lead. Then we go to some sketchy co-registration website who promised us signups and emails at 25 cents. And for the same price for $5, we get what, 20 subscribers. And it was like a no brainer. It was so much cheaper. And for a while, that's how we operated. All we knew was top line customer acquisition. And we were like, it's a no brainer to pour money into 25 cent acquisition over $5. And what we didn't realize, and it took us a good two years to build out all of the tools and analysis to be able to do this. But there's a huge difference in the quality of subscribers from both of those different channels. And so what we created was we called it the high quality subscriber metric. We sent six days a week, Monday through Saturday at the time, and we deemed anyone who opened more than 50% of their first 12 sends as high quality. And so you can do like a calculation where maybe for Facebook, 50% of our subscribers that we got from Facebook were high quality, where the co-registration that we got for 25 cents, maybe 3% were high quality. And when you, I mean, I'm going to lose track of the math now. I'm not going to embarrass myself to do the math on the fly. But when you actually do the, when you normalize it and do the math of how much it costs to acquire a high quality subscriber, the $5, I mean, it's not $5 in that example, it's $10 because 50% of them are high quality at $5. That $10 per high quality subscriber is actually cheaper than the cost of high quality subscriber for the 25 cent top line cost. And so that's just a very specific in the weeds example of like some sort of like mental model that we created for this. And you can apply that to any acquisition channel. So for us, all we needed was two weeks worth of data and see how many were high quality. And once you normalize that, we can say, yeah, we could sponsor the back of that Uber ride, like that iPad. And we just had in the contract that within two to three weeks, we were able to kill any long-term engagement. And we could tell right away, like, oh, that's actually 60% of them are high quality. Let's actually pour more money into that acquisition source versus no one is high quality of this. And like, let's cut it off and cut our losses ASAP. And once we had the freedom and flexibility to see those insights, we were willing to say yes to every ad campaign. We advertised in the subways of New York City. When you try to get Wi-Fi, which I didn't even know existed, there's actually a pop-up before you get Wi-Fi. And we had a morning brew ad on that. We did the, the Uber iPads. We did anything that was somewhat attractive where it could be a home run, knowing if it failed, we could cut our losses because we had the data pipeline to see that. Were there any like channels that were surprising? And maybe it was just a flash in the pan and eventually it went away, but like, were there any channels where you're like, whoa, I didn't know that. So no, no, in the sense that it's not surprising, but time after time, the most effective acquisition channel for us was other email newsletters. 
just because like it makes total sense that people who open other emails frequently and click on ads and other newsletters would then be pretty engaged with another email newsletter. And that also is like the other angle that I bring of the perspective of this whole build within Beehive of not only did I sit next to our sales team and see the internal inbound process of what it looks to sell advertisements in a newsletter, place them into the ad, the invoicing and reporting, but we also did thousands of ad buys ourselves and other email newsletters. So I know the whole process of going back and forth and the CPMs and waiting on results and all of the pain points there. Um, so I've seen both sides of that pretty granularly. Um, so one of, uh, candidly, what, what finally, I don't know if it was how I came across Beehive or if it was what just really brought your company to salience was I've become a subscriber to the Milk Road. I almost said that the wrong way because I'm from Pittsburgh and I say milk instead of milk. Yep. Um, um, but uh, the Milk Road has just exploded in popularity. They've built on Beehive and, and seem to really be uh, highlighting a number of the features, at least as a, as a consumer, that you guys make available with the referral program, with the scoring system for the newsletter on a regular basis, with the uh, ads that are placed there. Can you talk about uh, either specifically like working with uh, Sean and Ben and getting that specific project off the ground uh, or just in general, like what it means to kind of have these tentpole users of a platform to help it start to gain momentum and awareness. Yeah. So Milk Road holds a special place in my heart because they are like a true homegrown success story for us. Ben came to us, I think, in January of this year. They didn't have any content. They didn't have any emails. They didn't even have the Milk Road domain. I think they actually started with milkroad.xyz and then pivoted uh, milkroad.com and basically had nothing came to us. We even set up the DNS with them. They benefit for sure with Sean's audience and the podcast and everything else, but to see them go from zero to a hundred thousand plus in four months and to use our tech, our infrastructure, our referral program, which I won't give the exact number, but has led to a large percentage of their growth through the referral program. Um, it's definitely, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's incredible to see. And it's also, I think, to, to hone in on their referral program in, in particular, a lot of people look at Morning Brew and other newsletter referral programs by having like five or six different rewards. There's coffee mugs, there's t-shirts. And I love the Milk Road case study of, it's a single reward at one referral, and it's just a PDF about the crypto markets. So simple. It aligns directly with the core thesis of what Milk Road stands for and like what their audience is subscribing to obtain that type of information. And they didn't complicate it by having five or six different rewards. So I always thought that was a pretty interesting case study, but yeah, I mean, they have had tremendous success on the platform. And then speaking to your point of what it is to have those tentpole publications is the nature of our product. And what we do is like, we are building tools and infrastructure that is very consumer facing for these content creators to basically flex those capabilities to their audience. And by that, I mean, another example, liquidity, the meme account has his exact sum newsletter. They were previously on another email platform, pretty bare bone template. They moved to beehive, um, late last year template looks significantly better. They have a referral program natively built in. Their content is hosted on a much cleaner web page with like all these optimizations in terms of reading content and collecting subscribers. The whole process is much smoother than what his 100,000 plus subscribers were used to previously. So like our product is showcased in real time to these very large audiences. 
And that will continue to compound with like the launch of a few upcoming features that again are like, like the polls and surveys and everything else I had mentioned earlier. Those are things that will be built directly into these templates where the casual reader will engage with them. And if they have any competence with newsletters or anything on their own, would probably naturally wonder how are they using these referral programs, this template, the polls and everything else. And we make that, I guess, seamless call to action in the footer to sign up to Beehive. Got it. So one of the, and this is one of the last questions and we can aim towards wrapping up here. So uh, there's financial services firms that have kind of two different models. One of them is they want to build, you know, uh, different advisors or wealth managers practices from the grounds up from day one. And then other ones, it's all about the transfer of assets. You build the book of business and then you come over to our platform and, you know, we pay a nice fee for that uh, coming over. So from a growth standpoint, how are you, and like you said, there's a great growth market on your team, thinking about the the focus of new newsletters, people getting started, you know, being integrated with us from the jump, seeing a, the success of a company like the Milk Road and wanting to go pursue their own versus, hey, you're on Substack, hey, you're on this, that, or the other provider, come check us out. We're more affordable. We're going to have the ad network. We're going to have these other features that you can't get elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. As far as like a growth strategy, there's definitely a play to create net new newsletters in the ecosystem. And I look at YouTubers or people who are big on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and say like right now, you know, like as you mentioned earlier, YouTube takes a massive cut of ad revenue and you're kind of beholden to the algorithms that are TikTok and YouTube and everything else, where if you can convert your 1 million subscribers on TikTok to an engaged email list, send it three times a week and diversify your revenue streams from like a savvy business perspective. It's like a great move for those content creators. And we have plenty of content creators who have made that jump from YouTube or podcast and created a news newsletter with their existing audience on another platform. That being said, the path of least resistance is definitely taking newsletters that already exist. They're in the daily or weekly grind of creating this content. They are on a different platform. And they have experienced the pain points that we have identified. Uh, They can't do X, Y, Z in their platform, or they're not growing as quickly as they want to be, or they can't monetize, or the the dashboard is very clunky. And like all of these other enterprise type problems that these newsletters have experienced, we have been the antithesis of building to them and basically hitting on those pain points and building a solution that would attract those types of content creators And that was our goal going back into January was like priority one, remove all barriers of entry and friction points to move to our platform. So you could have a newsletter on Substack, Revue, MailChimp, Constant Contact, whatever. You can import your contacts, import your posts and import your premium subscriptions in under 10 minutes. And so switching costs are incredibly low. Um, And that's something we did very intentionally. Fascinating. Well, I am uh, relatively confident that you guys are going to continue growing and I'm excited to uh, not only chart that, but I uh, I moved my very small, admittedly small list uh, over to Beehive and going to start publishing here uh, regularly as well and use some oh, yeah. features. So, Love to hear it. Uh, fired up to watch that. Uh, before we let you go, Tyler, and we ask, uh, before we ask our standard last two questions, was there anything else you were hoping to share today that I just didn't give you the chance to? No, I think that was a pretty comprehensive overview of what we're building and what I think the opportunity is from a business perspective, and then what the value proposition is for content creators. And 
hopefully that resonates with some of your audience. Absolutely. And if you liked this, uh, amongst the multitude of folks that participated in Beehive's $2.6 million seed round uh, was past guest Jason Yanowitz from Blockworks, uh, amongst a number of other uh, interesting media characters. So uh, sure to uh, check that episode out after we're done with this one. But for now, uh, where what digital coordinates can we provide for people if they want to learn more about you and the work you're doing? Yeah, definitely most active on Twitter. So it's dank underscore tweets, D-E-N-K underscore tweets. Fairly active there. And same with Beehive. Um, I didn't hit on it, but we don't we haven't paid for acquisition yet. We're just very active on Twitter and promoting all of the upcoming launches and features that we're working on. So if you're interested in following along, definitely shoot me a follow there. That's an interesting thing with with technology more recently too, is like the notion of almost like drop culture brought to software, like product developments that it used to be like, you'd like get it in the settings of your, or like the app store of your phone. And now there's like the ability to kind of build hype and interest. If you are a decent marketer around those, I, you guys have, have seemed to have done that relatively well. I guess you can be the judge, you and your audience, if they follow me, whether or not I'm a decent marketer, but to be determined. Right on. We're going to link all of that. Uh, we're also going to link Big Desk Energy, the Spotify playlist that you uh, cultivate. Before we get the challenge uh, for the audience to wrap things up, give us a song or two that uh, we can we can check out that you've been bopping recently. It's a great call to action, and I don't know if I have one in particular. Uh, I, I sit and when I do deep work and kind of like doing A&R for Big Desk Energy all day long. And so... Uh, my Spotify algorithm has it down to a T where I'm finding songs that have less than 50,000 streams and they're incredible. So highly recommend checking out Big Desk Energy in the show notes. Um, it's definitely one of my pride and joys. Right on. We're going to link that as well, uh, along with everything here in the show notes for this episode. Going deepwithaaron.com slash podcast is the place to find it or in the app where you're probably listening to it right now. Before we let you go, Tyler, let's take it away with a personal challenge for the audience. Yeah. So since you premised this at the beginning, I've been thinking about it. And, and one that comes to mind is, unfortunately, our CTO tragically passed away about a month and a half ago. And in going to his funeral, one of the eulogies that his friends gave was that he would always leave the house with a few $1 bills to donate to the homeless. And it was always multiple $1 bills. So in case there were multiple homeless on the street, he would be able to donate to both of them. And so that is something I've taken with me to try to be more generous and to basically replicate that philosophy of taking singles with me out and about and being more open to donating to the homeless. So that would be my call to action for the audience. Wow. I I love that. And that is easily one of i think the the best ever that we've had that is that is beautiful and touching and uh i'm I'm sorry for your loss yeah it was he kept that very like obviously he was a very humble person and, and never really his roommate is the one who told that story so he kept that pretty close to the chest so that moved me when i heard it and have been trying to take action on that since well, I hope that uh, everyone listening will as well. And uh, if they're at all in the digital media game, check out Beehive as well. Uh, Tyler, thank you so much for sharing some time with us today. Yeah, been a blast. Appreciate you having me. We just went deep with Tyler Dank. Everyone out there has a fantastic day. 
Hey, thank you so much for listening to the end of my interview with Tyler. If you enjoyed it, make sure you listen to our recent past interview with John Shanahan of Strix. We talk about their appearance on Shark Tank and building in the category of men's cosmetics and skincare. Check it out and hit subscribe because we've got some fantastic interviews coming the rest of this summer. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.